I know ridiculously quickly. Thank. Well, I want to say just thank you for helping me with this. Um, it's been a nice little project that I've been wanting to do for a while, and I wanted to get someone with your kind of experience on probably one of the biggest project issues that's going on in the UK right now. Um, yeah, yes. So thank you for be coming on board and answering questions about it. It's all right. So um, the, 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 the audio is cutting out a little bit. I wonder if maybe if you, my video doesn't work here, but I wonder if maybe if you could turn your video off, it might. It's just a bandwidth thing, I think. Right. Okay. One I second. don't know why. I've had this before with Skype. It just I, I, I missed the last sort of sentence that you said. Sorry. I thought, I thought it was sort of move. Your mouth was moving, but no, <laughs> no sound was coming through. Right. What about now? Is that better? That's much better. Fantastic. Much clearer, yeah. I don't know why it does that. It's yeah. quite unreliable. Well, that's, that's all right. Anyway, so let's get cracked on then. Um, so if just to like a little start of it, like if you could generally summarise the HS2 project as a whole at the minute in one word, what would you use? Uh, contentious. Right. Probably. Could you elaborate on that for me, please? Um, it's just... The case of so many people don't want it, and mm. an equal amount of people do want it. It just feels that, uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't really have an opinion on it myself in terms of whether it's good or not. There's mm. this, there's good, there's advantages and disadvantages to doing projects like this. Um, it's one of those. I think it's, I think it's being pushed by Boris Johnson. So it's sort of a, if you remember from last year, there's a. It's the sort of sacred cow type of project, if you like, where mm. he wants to be seen to be doing well. He wants to be seen to be pushing these massive infrastructure projects because he's seeing them going across all across Europe and particularly in Asia. And he doesn't want, he doesn't like the idea of Britain being left behind. The problem with that is it's it's fine, you know, and, and it's great, mm. you know, you've got the head of the country uh, behind it, so the project's going to get all the funding it needs it's going to get all the resources it needs the 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 issue and you have to sort of be careful what you say here because the issue is it's the competence of the person that wants the project to succeed that will ultimately lead to its success or failure yeah so you know however good boris is at sort of well whether it is boris or whether it's dominic cummings um, <laughs> pushing things through it depends on on their sort of Ability and their ability to not just sort of go. Oh, I'm not interested in that anymore. I'll just do something else. So um, yeah, I, I can understand why people don't want it, but I can also understand why people do want it as well. I think we've got that. You see this quite a lot in Europe. Um, like you were referencing earlier to all the high-speed uh, trains and all the infrastructure projects in like in Asia. I was in Japan last year and I got to like experience the high-speed rail. And like while it was like it is amazing. It, it is amazing if you do it right like we've seen so many times um, over Europe and predominantly Spain as well where there's been these massive hit like high speed train rail like rail projects and they've just not come into place what, what the difference is for it happening in Asia and happening in Europe is I, I generally don't know I've got a stat here because I was going to ask you a bit about this later on but now that you've brought it up it was um, the European um, con the European Conduct uh, uh, sorry the ECA, which is essentially an auditing aspect of a lot of Europe European projects, and they did a report on basically these high speed rail projects across Europe, 
and they found that around 45 they're running at around 45 percent of their total velocity so they're not actually running to full capacity and that's one of the issues which is talking about with hs2 as well where it's it's going to be good for the busy periods but the lines that are operating apart from them busy periods they're not really used that much Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, also, you know, in terms of um, that, that, I think that probably, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that is the biggest issue is, is it actually going to be used for all the money that's going to be thrown at it? You know, um, you've got an increase now in people working from home, mm. uh, an increase in people trying to move away from London in terms of their um, headquarters. You know, you see Manchester now becoming a bit more of a, this, this whole northern powerhouse thing, uh, you know, seems to be, it seems to be being plugged. I don't know if it's actually a proper commitment, but you see Birmingham and Manchester having a lot more investment in them. You know, it, mm. if you've got people that don't go to London on a regular basis or, you know, if, if they are happy to say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just continue on the trains that I use, okay, they'll take two hours as opposed to an hour or an hour and a half, but they're half the price. And I can get some work done when I'm sat on that train. That I think that that's the worry in that sense. It's got to, it's got to wash its own face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. I think there's there's that. I think there's been a long thing about a lot of people take it this whole project for what it is and it's saying that it's for the northern powerhouse. When in reality, it's by getting people to have greater access to London isn't just. It's just like it's saying yeah, people can move a bit further out and get to the capital quicker but what about what's happening up north i get i completely get that um uh, one thing i do want to ask you about from your perception of that you've seen a few of these big government projects when i was a student of yours we spoke a lot about the national program for it um after doing a bit of research and just on the Eurotunnel, i had a lot of skepticism about it do you think this is the projects that's had the most skepticism, well, government projects that has the biggest skepticism, biggest critics in his in our recent history, or do you think it's just like and all the projects that have been, and it'll just pass off? I don't. I mean, to my, I, th I think there's always been speculation and and scrutinisation, if you like, of public sector projects simply because it's our money that's being used and people mm. don't like the idea of it. I mean, my dad used to work for the civil service and. Um, he said it was disgusting, really, the amount of times that he'd go into meetings of people. This is in the in the nine in the eighties and the nineties when they were developing new IT systems uh, with a obviously with an outsourcer. So so the companies come in and they completely under budget what was or under quote what was actually required. So they'd get the contract and then because they knew that the civil servants would then say, "Oh, actually, can we get it to do this?" And they go, "Yeah, of course." course we can get it to do that it's going to cost you another two million mm. and they go oh, okay well it's not really my money so it, you know we'll we'll do it sort of thing i mean that was in the golden age of public sector when it had a lot more money to spend it's a lot we're a lot tighter on money in the uh, public sector now in particular we seem to be honest at the moment as a public sector to be obsessed with cost savings and obsessed with money as opposed to being obsessed with how you know, that those investments are actually going to change things. And mm. when going back to your point earlier about how you see the differences between Europe and Asia, the Japanese sort of culture, if you like, is invest today and reap the rewards tomorrow. Whereas 
the Western culture seems to be, if I put money into this, I want my money back now. Mm. So it's that, and that seems to be the difference between. So the Japanese are quite happy to throw money at things because they know in five, ten years' time, they'll get. If they don't get their money back, they'll get a benefit to society. It's like that example of the the bullet train, where if you get the bullet train is so reliable that if it's ever late, there are they have little printers on the actual train that print out a little ticket that the uh, passengers can take into their work and say, "I'm sorry, I was late, but this is the reason I was late. This this receipt here that I've printed off on the train proves that reason." That's how sort of um, important time is if you Mm. like to Japanese business but because they've invested heavily in the bullet train and in the public infrastructure they know that they can get money back in terms of a stronger economy or a healthier population or things like that yeah that's yeah you hit the nail on the head I think quite a lot of people have heard that fact about when you go into Japan and you if, if it is late it's so rare that you get that ticket I think Imagine being a London commuter, that just makes you want to cry, really. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But, yeah, but kind of refer- you kind of highlighted a point early when you were talking about your dad, who they used to just, when they used to do government projects, that they used to underbid as much as possible and then ask for more money there. From the research that I've done, that's it's, it's similar elements that have gone on in this with the HS2, which is why in originally when it was set out in 2010 it was supposed to be 32 billion and then 10 years later it's projected to be 106 billion one thing that seemed pretty good by the initial the company that's doing hs2 who's organizing it they set a condition for contractors to basically if any spending that goes 60 percent over the budget that they the the contractors said that they could do it the contractor spends uh, they have to spend it out of their own money, which I found that a very good aspect of doing, but it doesn't seem to work. I don't know if you've heard of this or if you've seen it before, but... No, I've not. I mean, the, 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 the obvious example of that going completely wrong is Carillion, obviously, mm. with um, all the projects that they... Because I think Carillion were actually involved in HS2 at right. the start, and they probably sort of added to the delays when they went bust you know they, they particularly the the royal hospital in liverpool um yes there was a there was a, i mean it was never confirmed but there was a consensus that they they went for the risky projects because they knew that things would change and they could make more money in that sense but unfortunately they overstretched themselves and went across too many risky projects and then ended up being in debt but i mean that that makes sense i mean the thing is like you say it should be 2010. I mean, we've already spent nine billion pounds on this now, mm. and, it, and and there's there's reports now that have come out and said that if we cancel it, it's going to cost us another 12 billion. Mm. So you know, I mean, you're talking over 20 billion just wasted for nothing. But then they're saying, well, to do it fully, it's going to cost you 88 billion. Mm, that was um, so the the 2019 was 88 billion. Oops, sorry. Um, 2019, it was supposed to be registered at 88 billion ever since. And new figures, while they're not official, but they've come out of, I think it was a, uh, it was the Financial Times or the Guardian report that it was supposed to be 106 billion, which is yeah. what were you saying? Like, would you want to just lose 20 billion? No, but then as you, you look at the cost benefit analysis, it depends on what this project will be at the end. Um, exactly. And you, you know, when you've had 10 years of austerity, you think, 
that 88 billion, 106 billion, however much it is, it's going to go up, like you say, it's going to go up. It'll go up anyway with inflation. Mm. It, it, it amazes me when governments say we're putting record numbers of, of, of funding into NHS or, or things like that. Yes, you are, but that's inflation. Exactly, yeah. Of course it's record numbers because it's going up all the time. But um, and, and like you say, it's 106 billion now. What's it going to be like in five years? So I think that's the contentious part. The other contentious part is the poor people that this is going to be built next to their houses. Um, and we're not talking sort of, you know, typical sort of countryside here. We're talking about Tory heartlands here, people who voted for the Conservatives and, you know, in Surrey and the nice leafy places and they're going to have their property prices sort of completely devalued and a train going past every five minutes, you know. So it, it, it is a risk. And I think that's why a lot of the backbenchers in the Tory ranks are against it, because they think if we do this now, you know, it's like the, mm. it's like the extra Heathrow runway when Boris stood up and he said, I will lie down with you on the runway and stop the diggers. You know, he didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those, isn't it, where it can politically cause quite a lot of damage. Mm. This is the thing, and now because the, the Tories are set in for another five years, so they they kind of have the wiggle room to do this type of projects that they want. Um, but it is it's very interesting, like like you said, because it's gone on so much controversy of how it's ploughed through different you know, different areas, and even to the point where it looks a bit on the poor planning on the aspects of the project, which fascinates me. With the story that I read was that. While probably misbudgeting happens in a lot of projects, as you will know, is that a big impact of this project while building it forward is the misaccounting of the type of soil that they're having to dig through. Um, and this is another factor that's added costs and everything. And it just seems quite fascinating that it just doesn't seem budgeted correctly at all. And it's it seems it's going to be spiral out, completely spiral out of control from this kind of, from my point of view. Um I can see yeah, some of the uh, benefits of it, but... Go on, sorry. Sorry, I can see some of the... I obviously can see the benefits of some of the projects, but while I was... I, when I was doing your class, I did the National pro, pro, uh, Programme for IT, and that was another one that kind of just kept getting bigger and bigger, and it was a long-time project, but this obviously is... amplifies that to a lot bigger extent, but based on costs. And, yeah, it's just fascinating of how much you can do inaccurate and how it's going to just spiral out in the long term yeah I, I, I mean that's the thing isn't it and, and, and in 10 years time you know we, we don't know the, the, the way technology is changing and the way people are changing their methods of working if you like you, you just don't know in 10 years time I mean you know we could all be sat at home with virtual reality headsets on talking to each other as if we were in an office mm. you know we, we are people wanting to go to London this whole thing of London being the centre of the country, it, it, it might become a bit of a artificial, old-fashioned way of looking at things. If you look at the backbone of any economy, it's it's always the small businesses. Yes. Now, the small businesses can't afford to be in London, so you know, should should we should we not start to sort of? You've got the um, the southeast and the southwest. Um, I think it's mainly the southwest actually con con complaining about poor rail infrastructure there. Um, there's, there's talks now of some of the railway lines that were closed by Beecham um, it, after the Second World War because they were you know, not profitable at the time. There's talks of some of them being reopened. And you think that, that would be 
more beneficial if you did that around the country as opposed to just going for the commuters that come to London you know two three times a week but you know will they still continue to come that many times I mean the obvious example did you I know some people did the um, for the assignment they did the Edinburgh tram um, project which was another one mm. and we were supposed to have a tram in Liverpool that was supposed to go up uh, Mount Pleasant and they spent a lot of money doing all the sort of research and all the you know this is what can happen and, and you know this is the benefit cost benefit analysis and all of this and it looked really good and then just you know the Edinburgh tram one in particular they must have gone through about 10 different project managers because it just became unmanageable um, and, and, and like you say I'm, I'm with you on it I think it I think it is going to take some very strong management for it to be a success mm. yeah but it is it, yeah we can all of us can never predict the future um one thing I kind of want to ask you about as well um, is obviously as a project manager, you can you can say that the scope and the the scope of the project, the budget of the project, and the time of when it's delivered is are the three most important things that you you should know. Well, you should look for. Um, which would of them would you say would be the most important in the context if you had to choose in the context of HS two? See, I mean, I think, I think, probably at the start, it, it, it probably changes as the project progresses. I mean, at, at the start, and I think, to be honest, cost probably is is the most important, mm. simply because it's taxpayers' money that's being used. Um, so that'll be the one that's scrutinised the most. People don't won't really mind if it's late, as long as it's not massively over budget. Uh, but unfortunately, those two things go hand in hand. Um, the the sort of hidden dimension, if you like, there of, the, of that triple constraint is, is quality. Yes. Um, and obviously, you know, you change any one of those three on the triangle, all the others are going to be impacted. But quality, I think, is, is very important here as well because that will be the reason why people do or don't use it. If it's a poor quality service or if it doesn't live up to its expectations, you know, these projects are often oversold in order to get the funding that they need. If, if it's not a quality product at the end, people will just say, well, it's better to just stick with Virgin Trains because yeah. I know it's longer, but I get a much nicer seat in uh, first class and it's half the price, you know, and then what do you do then? I mean, I think the difficult thing is once you start digging, you can't really stop, can you? Because what, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to build a, a, a train line, you know, that, and then keep going all the way through and disrupt a load of people and then get halfway to Birmingham and then say, actually, this isn't worth it. Mm. You know, what, what do you do then? Do you just stick a station at the end and hope for the best there? I mean, it's it's very, very difficult. In terms, it's not like a building where you can just sort of say, right, we'll stop there. All right, this was supposed to be, you know, for this purpose, but we don't want to do it anymore. And somebody else will come in and say, well, I'll buy that building off you and I'll use it for something else. Mm. Can't do that with a train line. I think one of the fears that I have is that obviously phase one is sorry phase one is the main bit so it's going from London to Birmingham and then they plan to do phase two A which breaks off into goes to Manchester uh, from Birmingham and phase two B which goes from uh, Birmingham to Sheffield to Leeds. Um, as someone who's kind of, I'm originally from Leeds as well and kind of resides in the north, I think the biggest fear that I have is right. Well, they'll plan to do phase one and then they'll cut it off of phase one and then you've just got the Midlands, which will benefit. The Midlands are probably one of the ones that stand to benefit the most from this. But then again, it just leaves 
the northern bit just completely out. I think that's probably the biggest fear from my aspect of what could happen with this project. Yeah, and, and 100%, I can see that happening. I mean, like you say, you know, they'll, it'll get to a stage and say, well, we've already overspent. We can't then go and do phase two because people will be up in arms or whatever. The other thing as well is, you know, if you've got self-driving cars, surely the money should be put into smart motorways. You know, if, that, if that's the future with electric cars and then eventually self-driving, you know, will we actually ever need trains? It'll be a little mm-hmm. bit like, you know, will people own their own cars you don't know you know it could be like an uber thing you get it on your app and say yes i want a car from here to there and it drives you to it automatically and i think people would rather have that than go go on trains especially now with the coronavirus you know yeah <laughs> i would go on the tube if I, if I had to if i could just get a self-driving car to take me there so it's um like you say it's going to be very interesting because they're, they're selling it as an advantage they're saying well the cost is spread over 15 to 20 years in 15, 20 years, rail travel might be dead. Mm. You, just, you just don't know. Well, that's one of the key selling points that they were saying, like in the aspect of environments and, um, oops, sorry, uh, the aspect of the environment that they're going to, it'll take more cars off the road, it'll stop people flying less from um, Manchester to down to London. It'll, it's looking to take commuters off other forms of transport and add it onto there. And like the point that you said that self-driving cars maybe the future i love in my from my estimations i think it's going to be, be a bit longer than people say like the likes of elon musk like to shortcut things um i think it'll yeah. be a bit longer i think maybe about 10 15 years so we could get to this point when hs2 is delivered and then the this new amazing level five autonomous vehicle technology which will improve um, traffic lanes because at the end of the day computers will be able to drive better than humans and it will eliminate traffic discrepancies that will arrive maybe at the same time as HS2 is supposed to be built, well laid out and this 106 billion or whatever it might be may just have been a waste waste of investment yeah absolutely when you could have, you could have spent that but, you know, making, I mean, we've got some of the worst roads in Europe you mm. know, I remember a couple of years ago BMW said that you know a lot of customers were complaining to BMW because they they bought these really nice 18-inch alloy wheels and um, they were cracking. And they take them back to BMW and BMW's response was, well, they work on the German roads. It's just British roads have got too many potholes in them. You know, and, and obviously it didn't wash and, and people got their money back. But mm. it just shows you that, you know, we've got... If, if you put that amount of money into the roads, be it... You, more people would use them. People, the, the counter argument to that is, well, you can get from Birmingham to London in an hour on the train. You wouldn't be able to do that in a car. But I've heard other arguments that say, well, if every car is a an autonomous, car, uh, self-driving, can think for itself, they can go whatever speed they want on the motorways, and you'll never have traffic congestion because they'll all be talking to each other. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it could be a case of, like you say, it could be completely and utterly defunct as soon as it's created. Yeah. So yeah, one thing I point. So when I was re- referencing to earlier about um, choosing the most important between scope, proje- um, scope, time, and costs, there's a few. Pe- there's been a few theories of what. Oh well, a few re- bit of research of what people could do to bring down the costs. Um, but obviously, it means changing the scope. So the main one is. Basically, turn it, turning it from a 300, um, 360 kilometers, kilometers per hour train to a 300 meters, 300, 
300 kilometers per hour train. On average, this would cut off 12, this would add, make, add on 12 minutes compared to the journey that's supposed to be said on the time from London to Manchester. So you're adding 12 minutes onto the journey than what was HS2 would be, but that could save 13 billion. The, yeah, so this is the thing. It's how much can you save to, in order to change the scope of the project? The other one was, at the minute, the London line supposed to it's supposed to um, go to so it's supposed to terminate at the minute in Old Oak Common, um, and then go from Old Oak Common to Euston. Well, and then well, Lincoln to go to Euston. Um, this could be if it's just removes that line from going to Euston and fully terminates in Old Oak Common, that could save between two to seven billion. Um, but within regards to what the Department of Transport have said, doing this alone would probably prevent sales rev- drop sales revenue by ten percent. Which, right. so this is the thing. So what's this? If the primary aim is to cut costs, then uh, what bit of the scope do you? diminish yeah yeah it's it's all it's all a trade-off isn't it i mean mm. you know common sense says build the line first and then because that's once you've got the line theoretically don't order the train and it, i know the trains have got a lead time to them but the longer you delay your order of the trains the more the technology advances the cheaper it becomes like you say if you if you order a train now and it's just sitting there for a year or so before it's ready. What's the point? You know, mm. wait, get the. I mean, it's like, it's like you know, I'm having quite a lot of work done on the house at the moment, and and you you all you're doing is, particularly with electrics and plumbing, you're trying to future proof yourself. Yeah. So if you if you get things ready, you know, so so I've gone uh, made sure that the the um, circuit breakers and things are more have more slots in them than I actually need. Because the electrician said, well, you never know what will happen in the future in terms of you might want this in light, lighting in the garden or whatever. You know, you, you never know. So it's the same sense with that. You know, build the line that can take the highest capacity possible. And then if you have to go for a cheaper uh, tr- train now, it's going to cost, save you, say, 13 billion. That's a lot of money to save. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then in five years' time, get a more, get a quicker train you know i mean i don't know how much these trains cost but i can't think they're going to cost billions each yeah it's um but it yeah i mean it's it's knowing and and again that's where it gets complicated because you've got to go through all the chains of command everybody's got to have a say it's that whole thing of you know what was the phrase something about a camel as a horse designed by committee or something it's that (laughs) type of thing isn't it where you've got to communicate with all the stakeholders what do you want? Is it a priority? Is that twelve minutes really, you know, re- really, really important to you? I think the thing of going into Euston, I think, like you say, I think if that's going to cost you ten percent, I think you've got to, you've just got to do it because mm. you know people want to go to Euston, they don't want to go to a station. I've never heard of that station. Yeah, same. I mean, you don't want to go there and then have to get a taxi into central London. It, the whole point of it is that you get on that train and you get to central London. So I think you have to take the hit with that, but. With the trains themselves, I mean, surely. I mean, I, I heard something in the newspaper the other day that the uh, there's a Chinese company that said, "Oh, we can do it HS2 for you, and we can do it in five years." Yeah, so, I've seen that as well. And then at the minute with tensions, is everything going on in China? It's 
it's that's the thing. It, what you've seen what they can do, but then will the UK government trust them to do it, or whatever will happen? It's it, isn't it? I mean, there was um, there was a horror story. I, I don't know if this is true. I really don't. So there's my disclaimer. Put it away. <laughs> but a, a couple of years ago, China tried to create a high speed train. I think it was about ten years ago um, to compete with the bullet train. Mm. And it was a it was a thing of look you know we 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 can do it now we can compete with the Japanese you know we've got the manpower which they have they've got far more manpower than the Japanese have um, you know and, and and we can do it and on its maiden voyage the, the, so the rumor says I mean there weren't very reputable sources these um, they, apparently the train came off the track on a, a very high speed and and killed everybody on board that was Oof. testing it and you think that that's quite a sort of scary horror story if, if that's what it was if that was a you know a, some you know a, a, a sort of a very misguided way of trying to get companies to not deal with chinese companies then it worked because a lot of people were saying oh no I'd, you know i'd never i'd never do this or i'd never do that you'd never want that over here sort of thing health and safety wouldn't allow that sort of thing and you think rumors like that that are probably untrue mm. but completely will throw out, out public opinion the public, quite rightly, should be allowed to say what they think about projects like this. And, you know, that, like, like, yeah, I think you were probably going to come on to it, the whole thing with Huawei and the uh, 5G network and all of that. And, exactly. You know, Trump coming out and saying, no, no, you know, if you want this special relationship with us after Brexit, you're going to have to have this. You know, it, it's, it's becoming very complicated now. Gone are the days where... It was, okay, we'll do this for you and you, you pay us and we'll go home. It's okay, yeah, we'll do this for you, but what else can we get out of it sort of mm. thing? It's, it's quite worrying in that sense. Yeah, I think there's so much with the aspect of China coming in with it. There's the Hawaii aspect and just with everything. I think that when you referenced earlier with about the coronavirus aspect as well is the fact that one kind of, along with the story that you're saying, one kind of thing that worries me about China is the fact that with the, they've built amazing things over there and they seem to work but these stories that you hear after the coronavirus where they've tried to cover things up because things haven't been done properly or the way that things have spread is the fact that you worry if that gets implemented over here and accidents may happen just in, just because things may not have been like you said checked properly just or it's easy to cover up things all societies will, will have cover-ups but i think of the recent kind of outbreak of what's happened with china and the bad publicity that that country at the minute is going through, people are a bit more heightened to what's going on. Yeah, it's, it is very unfortunate, isn't it? Because, you know, a whole, a whole nation is being sort of blamed almost for something that was not, was you know, they, they didn't they didn't want it. You know, but, mm. but as you say, the, the whole, the way that, the way that they could build, I don't know whether you saw some of those videos or stories of how quickly they built those um, hospitals Yes, it's unbelievable. And and in terms of that, that's the thing. That's the difference in terms of being able to. And we worked on a previous job with um, some uh, outsourcing, so some Chinese companies that would do the development of software for us, and we spec it out, and they do it for us. And um, I remember they came, they came to Liverpool, and they thought it was amazing that the construction sites were empty at night. <laughs> and I said, well, "What do you mean? He said, well, why is nobody working? So it's night time. It's day. You know, you can't you can't work at night time. Everybody nine to five. People go home. Sort of thing. And they were mm. like, well, we, you know, in, in China, we'd have a night shift come in and do it. So that's so that's how they can do it so quickly because they've just got so many people 
Um, and, and we just can't compete in that sense. I, I read something the other day about um, the, 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 the wages as well. It's obviously a big thing. Mm. People are on video games now. Obviously, there's these video games where you have to level up and, and obtain, like World of Warcraft, obtain the, the greatest amount of the best weapons and all of this. So there's a lot of Chinese companies that have been set up now, and these, these guys, they, pay, they play video games for 10, 12 hours a day. And all the loot and all the you know the weapons and the gold and everything that they collect in those t- ten to twelve hours, they then sell to somebody in America. And apparently, the people in America are prepared to pay twice the amount that that person is paid to do it. So it's a, a completely viable business. So you, you're not only looking at in term, innovations in terms of um, manufacturing and you know how quickly they can do things, but they're coming out with new business models, new businesses, and things like that. I mean, it's um, it's scary how quickly the world is changing. It is, and they've got so many, like you said, they've always had an abundance of people and resources just the way that the land that has been, that's just been throughout history. Um, I think one of the techno- when you was talking about the hospitals as well, one thing I also remember seeing was a video where, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen this, but essentially it's building a bridge and the components, big stands going over the well the hill are already up but this train is going along and then just putting the flock the future track bit on each bit by bit as it's going along and just some of the technology that is there is unbelievable to be fair um i mean the 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 other thing as well is that at christmas time i bought a drone like one of the cheapest drones (laughs) you could buy and I was trying to work out, you know, who, because there's so many of them on eBay and Amazon, mm. you don't know if any of them are any good. And um, But the leaders in that, in the drone manufacturing, I thought, oh, well, they'll be Japanese or German or something like that. They're all Chinese, all mm. the companies that are the leading sort of, I think it's DJI, I think is the main, mm. is the main manufacturer. But And that sort of brings it home to you how far they've come. Because it was always, oh, well, if you buy... If you buy the Chinese stuff, it's always cheaper than the Japanese, but it's not as good quality. That's not the case anymore. You know, they, they are the market leaders in, in four or five, well, more different fields. And mm. it's, um, it's, it's amazing how quickly that's happened. Yeah, it, it is. Um, one thing I'd like to, we had a really good conversation, like going off into China and everything. China, caveat, it's fine. I really, it was really good. Caveating it back a bit towards HS2. Um, one thing I found quite interesting is the fact the emphasis that the government has actually put on to commit to helping the project be environmentally. Um, while Chris Packham has recently put filed a lawsuit against it and it is having um, environmental da- damage across the UK, it seems that there's quite a big emphasis on to mitigate the env- environmental damage caused by the project. And it seems like this is kind of a first of its kind like i don't really i wasn't around when the euro tunnel was bought but so it made but it didn't was there ever this kind of concern for the environment when the euro tunnel was made or is this a very first for a government infrastructure project oh i mean i was quite young when the euro tunnel was being built mm. but i think i think it was i think that there was less of a concern in that sense because it was sort of being built through under the water if you like mm. so it wasn't like a case of going through farmland or next to people's houses or things like that so mm. it, it sort of 
the majority of it was through the channel. And I think I think the, the, the way that they were selling it was, well, the only other way to France is through an aeroplane or a ferry, you know, and, and most people will use the aeroplane, which is obviously incredibly bad for the environment. So I think it's sort of outweighed in that sense. Um, but with this, it's, I think it's the, partly, part, I do partly think that, the people that are against it environmentally have got completely got a, a point, but I do think it's almost the visual thing of it in terms mm. of well, it's it's cutting through countryside. You know, it's going to make it look an eyesore, and I completely understand that. You know, the, one of the biggest selling points of this country, tourism-wise, is things like the Lake District and the Peak District and all the nice places like that. But it, it seems to be more in terms of that. I mean, the counter argument is always well. Like you said before, less cars on the road, less road accidents, less pollution and all of that. But they fail to sort of say, well, yeah, but you're cutting up all this land and you're going to take away ecosystems for, you know, um, rabbits and... Yeah. We, we don't know, you know, when you start doing things like that, you really don't know what the knock-on effect is going to be on the environment. You know, if you start taking away... Only a couple of years ago, they were talking about, well, bees could be extinct. You know, bees mm. are in trouble. And, and people are going, oh, well, I don't like honey anyway. And it's like, <laughs> no, you don't, you don't realise the impact that if you lose that one animal in the sort of eco, ecosystem supply chain, if you like, the knock-on effects of that are massive. So, mm. you know, we are sort of messing around with nature and, and stuff that we don't really understand. And I suppose that is a, another concern, really. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because uh, I think one of the major concerns is that a local species of bat will pretty much become extinct, apparently, the, the way it goes through. And like I said, it can impact so, impact so many ways because if one, piece, one species across the food chain is removed, then a species of plant, a species, another species of uh, animal species can just blow up and... It, it, it can have dev devastating impacts on the wider ecosystem. And I guess it's hard to predict that because incrementally we don't know what every single link between every single food chain. So, yeah. And even if we, even if we knew that, we wouldn't be able to... I mean, again, it would just be some form of mathematical model, wouldn't it, in terms mm. of, well, if we take that particular animal out... Then and we and we crunch the numbers. Then this is a probable thing out. But nature has a way of completely and utterly being so random that you you would never scientifically be able to say, well, that's definitely what's going to happen. Like you say, it's just it's too it's too difficult to to uh, to predict. So you referenced this quite earlier on in, at the start of the show. Uh, of the show was. Um the fact that you don't really, you say you don't really have an opinion on it, like you understand a bit both sides. So, yeah. would that still be correct? I'm talking through it now, <laughs> it seems like there's more disadvantages than advantages. I think we've talked more about the disadvantages. Yeah. Uh, so, but it, my my thing for me being being like you say, like yourself, being northern. London more than it will benefit the North, if you see what I mean. Mm. Um, and it, I don't know, it does... You've got the sunk cost that you'll never get back. Mm. Supposedly, it would be better for the environment. Um, I mean, they have said, haven't they, that they, that they will um, counteract the, the bad, bad effect on the environment by planting more trees. And you think, well, I think you need to do a little bit more than just plant some trees. Exactly. You know? 
for all the uh, disruption that you're causing. But um, I mean, even if it's even if it's just used for freight, you know, mm. which it won't be. But maybe maybe in that sense, if if we put all the passengers on the high speed line and the other lines are then used for freight travel, then you're taking the lorries off the road. Maybe that's maybe that's a, a you know a, a big advantage in terms of you know. But then, then you could say, well, if the lorries are going to be self-driving and they're and they're all going to be electric soon, then you know, what's the need for that? I mean, I, I saw a thing a few years ago, and um, somebody was talking about it. I think it was on Top Gear actually. And they were talking about having, you know, like the wireless chargers that you can have for your phones. Yeah. So they were going to install those into main motorways and main roads, and then have cars that would obviously have the battery underneath. So as you're going on the motorway, you would be constantly charging your, the battery of your of your um, of your car to sort of extend the range, if you like. That's the sort of thing that you think, you know, would that be more beneficial to invest in as opposed to the train? You know, it, it's it, it's one of those like nobody knows. You've got to the, the problem that the government have got, and the problem that Boris has got is that he's got to have a massive project that he wants to see through. In the next five years, when it comes back to why are you going to vote for me, he wants something to put up in front of everybody and say, I've done this, you know, and he wants it to be successful. Um, it, it's, a bit, it's a bit risky, you know, because you, any, everybody can say, well, I've put record numbers of, of money into the NHS, so I've increased the police force, I've, you know, done this, that and the other. Increased you know, nurses but <laughs> by retaining but, them. You know, when you've got... Go on, sorry. Sorry, yeah, just I was just laughing with the aspect of you know with, with he's saying in the future about you know increasing all this and then it was just like increasing nurses by you know retaining existing ones. Um, yes. But yeah, sorry for cutting you off. Go on. No, no, that's it. I mean, and, and if you go back, you go back to 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 Tony Blair. You know, he he was always on 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 and on and on about education, 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 and making sure everybody had the opportunity to go to university. And I think. I think the country's a better place for that, mm. you know, and and he could he could quite rightly turn round and say, in his two three terms, however however long he was in, he he did obviously he did some bad things, but he also <laughs> did some very good things for the country mm. in terms of um, you know the, making sure everybody had a, a, more opportunities to go to university and things like that. And this government really, at the moment, a lot of its critics will remember it for austerity. So he wants to be seen to be doing something like this, but it is a very risky thing to put all his hopes on, if you see what I mean. Um, but it, and, and also critics are saying it's a smokescreen. You know, it's look at this, I'm doing this, it's really well, whereas in the background he's then making more cuts or things like that. So he, he can't win in that sense, but mm. um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. If it was me, if he, asked, if he said to me, right, what, what do you think? After our conversation today, you'd probably say, "Don't do it." Mm. You know, um, you know, put your money into more, um, more sort of advanced things. Go and see how these electric cars and these roads are being used in, you know, in, in Silicon Valley and things like that, and think about that type of thing. But um, and or, or spend the money on all the the country. What, what's the um, Virgin have lost the contract, haven't they? But there's it was the Northwest one, wasn't it? Who is it, sorry? It was the Northwest, wasn't it? That was um, that they lost the contract and the government had to take it back over again. Or was it the Southwest? It was one of I one it, of them. I think, right. I, think, I think it was both. I'm sure it was. I'm sure there was Northern Rail lost something. 
Mm. Um, and, and I think in, I think somewhere in I think well, there's been people in in the south complaining a lot because of the poor infrastructure, and the poor lines, and you know the private companies just not really caring. So perhaps that might be a a better thing. But he wants for some reason he wants this big massive project. So. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in the next couple of years. I hope it's not just a complete waste of money and they spend fifty billion on it and nothing happens. But mm. you know, you can't rule anything out, can you, with these projects? I think I, I agree. I hope it does work. I think the only thing that worries me is his track record of as as London Mayor. I know this was this predates him as Prime Minister, um, but his track record of London Mayor of wanting to create so many things like the cycle scheme that he had and uh, he had a bunch of others and they just turned out to be duds so when you were speaking about the management that you know it needs a good leader to be able to kind of direct this through obviously project managers but also at the top as prime minister that's the only thing that worries me um and you're right where the money can be reinvested and could you powerhouse the north by investing in you've got you've kind of got like three three in a row with Liverpool, Manchester and Leeds where you've got three big cities there that are actually doing really well. Could you reinvest in that re- that side and, you know, maybe that significantly improves the northern economy? Um, while we, yes, I apologise to be fair because we've spoken a lot about the negative sides of this project. There is some positive sides to be fair. So one of the, some of the stuff that I've seen is the fact that not only this isn't as much of, this project, from what I've done research on it, it seems more about freeing up the capacity. So, looking at the actual trains that go down for, go down to London, you see a lot of mix of ex, of the express trains that are going straight there and commuters hopping on there for small you know small journeys. Um, yeah. One of the key factors where this this project actually goes to do is split them apart, so you're having less stops, you, you and it's more direct, which is speeding times. Um, and obviously, by having more of these trains as well, theoretically, the argument is the fact that if there's more supply, then it equals more demand, and these ridiculous train prices that this country has goes down. Yeah, so, true. And these, this, this commute, the, when referencing back to the commuter point where a lot of these people are going on, these railways are still going from like 100 years ago, so the rail system is in need of an upgrade. Um, like you said... Maybe it doesn't need an upgrade, and you fully take a big gamble on focusing on electric cars or another way. Um, that's a whole conversation in itself. Um, but yeah, to, to just kind of stick that bit of advantage in there because we have kind of I've kind of bashed on this project <laughs> a bit this this past half an hour. Um, but overall, would you say you mind's changed, or would you still say you're not really fully sure on the HS two? I'd still say I'm not sure. I mean, I think the, the other thing about projects as well is that how do you define success? Mm. You know, you, you, you've got the, you know, like you say, the triple constraint. Um, and, and, you know, obviously it's going to change, especially, you know, if, if your project's only a couple of months, uh, a couple of months long, things are going to change. The scope's going to change. The cost's going to change. The time will change. So if you're talking about a 15, 20 year project, those things are going to change. But, you know, what what how are you then going to define it as successfully I, I, obviously i think we all know it's going to go up in terms of cost and mm. it's going to be later than expected but people sort of accept that with the mega projects you know they that that's just you know that's just what happens 
So success in that sense could be that it's completed as a project. You know, the actual line is built and the trains are going up and down it or that people are using it. You know, so it could be that it's highly delayed and it's very expensive, but mm. in the end it is built. I mean, you look at Wembley Stadium as an example. Yes. Um, you know, that was massively over. I mean, people didn't want it. You know, they didn't want to get rid of the old stadium, you know, it's where they won the World Cup in 1966, you know, why get rid of it sort of thing, but it was they had to move with the times. And now nobody would say that that was an unsuccessful project, even though it was hugely overcosted and hugely mm. uh, late. But any football fan that goes there will say, yeah, it was worth it. Because yeah. it's a fantastic stadium and it's being used all the time and not just for football. So of looking at it in the, in the sense of, I mean, it's a bit of a political way of looking at it, isn't it, in terms of rather than saying there's no hard and fast, is it successful or is it not successful? It's just, it's a subjective measure, if you like. But I think as long as people use it and people, and it sort of, even if it just, like you say, brings prices down for the normal commuter that maybe doesn't go to London but feels a benefit when he goes to Birmingham, mm. then, you know, fair, fair play. Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, thank you for that. It's been really good talking to you. I don't want to hold on to you too long. Um, it's going a bit there. Uh, I've just got one final question, and it's kind of it's something I've asked everyone, and it's kind of not related to this. Um, if you could give one piece of advice, it could be to anyone. It could be to students as you're a lecturer. Um, just very vaguely, what advice would you give? Just any type of any advice. type of advice could be anything. Could be something very specific. Could be something very vague. Could be anything. Um, I think it's a piece of advice that I need to take myself, really, mm. which is don't sweat, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. You know, the, the, nine times out of ten, the things you really worry about won't ever happen. You know, and and obviously, it, it's sort of a two point thing. Make sure you're prepared. Obviously, so you know, worry a little bit in terms of what can happen. This is particularly important in projects, I suppose. Mm. Think about what can go wrong and have plans in place in case things do go wrong, but don't sort of paralyze yourself in terms of you know, you can't actually think because you're worrying so much in terms of things like that. And I think that's very, I think what's happening now with the uh, coronavirus, I think. I, I part of me wonders whether the government is saying it to make people worry, if you like. So the people that are, are not normally worried by it, it's almost a thing of, right, come on, you know, you, let's kick you into action sort of thing. But mm -hmm. So having, having not, not stressing too much about the little things, but also making sure that you're prepared. That's a very long piece of advice, sorry. <laughs> it's all right, don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, right, well, thank you for that, Matthew. It's been fantastic speaking to you and getting your insight on the hs2 um all the best thank you for coming on thank you very much thanks for having thank me you on. thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show feel free to subscribe and share and give the show a five star rating and all the podcast apps thank you